You are listening to The Real Men Feel Show with Andy Grant. Real Men Feel encourages men to allow and express all of their emotions. Despite what you may have been taught, all emotions do serve you. Real Men Feel is committed to engaging in discussions that most men aren't having. All links mentioned in each episode are in the show notes found on the blog at realmenfeel.org. Now, let's get into this week's show. Hello and welcome to another edition of Real Men Feel. This is your host, Andy Grant. And you know today we're exploring a topic that I know nothing about. Well, I shouldn't say that. Uh, I know something about it. Uh, we're talking about birth and I've been born, but I, I am not a parent. I don't have children. Um, once in my like late teens, early 20s, I went to a few Lamaze classes with a friend of mine to support her, but I've never witnessed a birth, never, never gone through any of that stuff. Um, but my guest has. And that's really wanted to have him have him come on. And it's, uh, I, I think talking about birth and, and men's role in it is a really unique thing. And uh, so today's guest is a semi-pro football player, an artist, a public health professional, a doula, and most importantly, a man who cares about his community. So please welcome William Moore. Good afternoon or morning or wherever, you know, <laughs> evening, wherever it is that you are when you're listening to this. Uh, thanks for having me on the show, man. I really appreciate it. No, it's, it's my pleasure. And, uh, yeah, you know, it was a, a past guest connected me to you, suggesting that you'd be a great guest, and uh, and so let's get into it. Like I've I've heard of a doula, but I'm really not sure what it means, and I've definitely have never heard of a male doula. So so what is a doula? So a doula, uh, essentially, the best way to put it is an advocate for uh, uh, for mothers or expecting mothers or families. Um, a doula is a birth attendant, um, somebody to be there to kind of uh, help guide the mother or you know family you know let me change the language around that and stop emphasizing mother but family because birth work really is family work but help guide the family through the process of birth so whether there be any questions um anxieties that you know arouse around you know uh, a giving birth whether it be attending you know the family attending prenatal visits with the family talking to the doctors making sure that they, all their questions are being answered um, making sure that they're asking the right questions making sure that they leave that office feeling like they've been listened to uh, feel like they've been heard and they have a grasp around what's going on. But then also while they're giving birth to make sure that, uh, you know, the birth plan that they have, you know, sat with and come up with, um, you know, with my assistance, that the doctors and hospitals are following that birth plan. Um, that, you know, anything that the family does not wish to happen uh, on behalf of any medical professional or um, healthcare uh, facility institution, that, that those things don't happen. Um, while they're there. So um, in short, I'm an advocate. I'm an advocate for families, for birth work, for mothers, for fathers. That's what I am. So is a doula, it, like another term I've heard of existing just beyond traditional doctors and nurses is, is a midwife. So is a doula different than a midwife? A little bit different from a midwife. Midwife will actually help you physically, is, is, is certified civic, uh, physically to help deliver that baby. So what they call um, in, uh, in the old world, uh, catching babies, right? <laughs> so they are actually there able to help, you know, guide the mother through the contractions, contractions and everything, receive that baby, cut the umbilical cord, the whole nine yards. I'm simply there to be present um, and to keep comforting and reassuring the family do that, uh, you know, through that process. And the actual doctor or midwife or whoever they choose um, to deliver their baby will be the one who, who uh, you know, helps them along with that. 
Okay. Okay. So a, a doula would never be the individual actually leading the delivery, get, catching a child, nope, nope, as nope. you said. Yep, exactly right. So I, I would never be the one actually like, you know, like leading the, the, the delivery. Um, it's important to, 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 to let everybody know that doulas are not certified or licensed to deliver healthcare services. Okay. Right. What we are there to do, like I said, is advocate. So we're not there to do, you know, dispense any medications. We're not there to make any medical decisions for the, for the family. We're there to, like I said, advocate for them. We're there to make sure that they clearly understand their options and their choices. We're there to make sure that those doctors and the medical professionals respect their choices and things like that. Mm-hmm. But we're not there to make any life or death decisions. We're not there to, you know, physically, you know, receive the baby, any of those things. Okay. And, and also helping me understand this. So it's, it's clearly not the day of birth only. You're, you're, you're part of the process leading up to it. And it sounds like you're also helping them post hoping the whole family post birth as well. Exactly. Postpartum. So, I'm, uh, you know, with the designation of also being a doula, um, with the, with the term certified perinatal educator, those, those, uh, credentials behind my name mean is that not only do I have, am I a doula, but also I'm also a lactation educator. So I actually help the family navigate uh, the process of breastfeeding, you know, the different, uh, you know, helping the mother understand when baby's actually hungry, um, when the baby's trying to latch, also trying to, um, you know, help mothers and families troubleshoot breastfeeding because breastfeeding is, is a, can be a very difficult, um, difficult process for mothers. You know, they've just, you know, gone through childbirth, you know, now they're tasked with, you know, taking these new little, you know, beings, these little bodies, and feeding them, you know, and, um, Sometimes there's all type of feelings that, you know, mothers kind of experience when trying to breastfeed. There's sometimes feeling a rejection if the baby's not latching on immediately. It doesn't seem like the baby's feeding properly. Um, If the the baby's not latching on properly, sometimes the mothers can feel a lot of discomfort and pain with it. Um, It's important to to make sure that people know or families know if the baby has latched on properly, it shouldn't be, you know, painful. but also, you know, there, there, there's a, a such thing as a false latch, right? So when a mother thinks that a baby is feeding, but the baby actually isn't because they aren't latched on properly. Um, and so teaching them how to recognize that. So because this whole time, you know, there's stories of moms, you know, going by, you know, days maybe thinking that the baby's feeding when the baby isn't. And they're understanding why the baby isn't properly gaining weight. or The baby seems like they're sick or, you know, very... Um, really bothered or irritable and stuff like that. And so things like being able to count diapers, you know, within the first two weeks, the amount of diapers that the baby's, you know, uh, going through the first two weeks to make sure that the baby's actually latching. Uh, or knowing when, you know, mom's going through some type of physical issues, such as uh, maybe she's got blocked ducts, you know, and it's causing her, you know, her breasts to become engorged. And that's a painful thing for moms to go to go through. So remedies and stuff on how to cure those those things. So there's a lot of different, uh, even though I'm not tasked with delivering the baby, I still have a lot of, uh, a lot of work to do. And, I, you know, there's a lot of duties um, with being a, a doula and a lactation educator. But um, it, it's something that I really enjoy uh, doing. Cool. Um, is it common for men to be doulas? Am I just, like, unaware of this, like, army of men doing these services? or? So it is very uncommon. <laughs> so you're not, you're not, uh, it's not like you've missed what's going on in the world or anything. Um, I, along with a colleague, a, a good friend of mine, became the first human in the history of the state of Minnesota to be uh, certified doulas and lactation educators. Um, it, it, it really isn't a common thing. And the reason is because many people 
um, kind of view birth work, you know, doula, you know, being a doula, a midwifery, a lactation education as women's work. Mm. And like I kind of said earlier, you know, taking care of your family or birth work is not women's work, it's family work. Mm. And when it comes to, to, to looking out for the family, that it's incumbent upon everybody to do that. And so because of that stereotype that it has, you know, there's a lot of men that I've, uh, you know, re approached about, you know, getting the same certification, you know, because this is, this is a skill that I wanted to spread through the community, you know, so that men can learn how to be more supportive of their significant others um, or, or any woman in their family that's, you know, going through uh, the birth process and going through, you know, pregnancy. And the first thing that comes out of the majority of anybody's mouth is, ain't that a woman's job? Ain't that women's work? Um, and, 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 and truth be told, Oh, it's not only just, um, uh, you know, normal everyday people who, who experience and say some of the same things. People ask me all the time, do you get any pushback or, or is anybody ever shocked when you tell them what you do? And they go, to be honest with you, it's actually other professionals who have a harder time with it than it is everyday, you know, everyday citizens. Hmm. I was, yeah, I remember I was at a conference once. Um, and I was actually going to be a speaker at the conference. And I, the lady didn't know exactly who I was. So she was asking me who I am and what I do. And I'll admit, like, I do not fit the uh, stereotype of a public health professional or, you know, a regular public health professional or a, a, a birth worker for that, for that matter. I'm six feet. I'm 240 pounds. I have dreadlocks go down my back. And I have between 20 and 30 tattoos. So, you know, more times than not, if people don't know who I am when I come into a, an area, uh, you know, and to, to speak, people are usually thinking, who is that guy or whose bodyguard is it? Like, who, who is he being security for, right? Right. <laughs> so she's asking me what I do. You know, we're having a conversation, asking what I do. And she goes, and I tell her, I'm a doula. She goes, what, a doula? Do you know what that is? I'm like, uh, yes, ma'am. I know exactly what it is. <laughs> so, I, wanted to, I wanted to, you know, turn the question back on her and go, a nurse. Do you know what that is? <laughs> but, but, you know, I refrained from doing that. Yeah, that's me. You're, you're so outside their expectations that they think you must not know what you are or you're using the wrong word or something. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, it, it, and so it has a it's kind of a double edged sword, right? Because, you know, I, like I, I get a lot of that. I, I get a lot of that, you know, um, in different spaces, people being shocked or surprised or thinking, well, you don't look like that's what you're supposed to do. Or, you know, that's women's word. But that's what Honestly, one of the things that I seek to do, not only professionally, but personally, was really a break out of the realm of labels. Hmm. Um, labels can be very divisive and, and, be, and because they're divisive, also kind of be very destructive. And I just think the more we can kind of get people out of uh, really siloing each other into different things, the more we can be of use to one another. Mm. Um, I like to think about uh, humanity as more like a, 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 a bunch of different organisms, right? Which is what we are. But we need to have more of a symbiotic relationship, which means that we're growing together, we're feeding off each other, um, we're, we're, we're helping each other grow, be more productive. There's too many situations or too many relationships out there that are like more parasitic. Um, you know, one feeding off the other, getting stronger on the other, within a way and dying. Or, and things like that. And ironically enough, that's a conversation that I have a lot, of, a lot with some of my clients and the groups I have. Mm. Because before we can really get down to helping, you know, um, mothers and fathers or 
the partners per se, because we know the dynamics of relationships are different these days. It's, it's not just necessarily a mother and a father. Sometimes it's two mothers, sometimes it's two fathers. But before we can help people really understand the dynamics of birth work and, and how to properly be there for one another, um, you know, where our child is concerned, we get really got, there's a, I found that there's really a lot of people out there that don't even understand the, the, the dynamics of a healthy relationship. You know, there's a difference between a symbiotic relationship, which is healthy, a parasitic relationship, and then people who are just like cohabitating, you know, coexisting. There's no real love or care there. They just occupy the same space. And once, until you can really help people understand where they are in that spectrum, um, or when you're able to help them understand where they are in that spectrum, it's really, it becomes a lot easier to help them understand or define help define one another's role uh, during the birth process and raising their children. And that's in, and the reason that, that is important is because anybody who works in early childhood development will tell you that the best chance any child has at reaching all their uh, early childhood milestones is to have both parents or two parents actively involved. They don't have to be together. They don't have to be in a relationship, but they both need to be very you know, actively involved uh, with that child's development. And a lot of times because of a, a lack of understanding about the relationship dynamics and lack of understanding about one another. You see a lot of conflicts kind of arise between both parties and they're not able to really be there and successfully co-parent, um, whether or not they're in a relationship or not in a relationship. Hmm. Cool. So you've talked about uh, a lot of your desire to, to get out of silos and break down labels and uh, but so is that what did you become a doula to think of like what's the kind of the most outside the box thing I could possibly do or you know what what what, <laughs> so, what brought so you into that is, work? So it's it's a it's a it's a funny roundabout story how how I came about being a doula. So I work in uh, I work for the uh, the county public health department um, as a health educator. So so one of my main responsibilities with that is managing. Um, grant funding to make sure that it goes into all the public school systems uh, in an effort to prevent chronic disease and illness. And the way in which we do that um, was to uh, pretty, pretty much upfront invest a lot of money as far as uh, in, into, you know, health eating and physical activity and to set up, set up a sustainable infrastructure um, so that we build, you know, create policy systems or environmental changes in the school systems, but also in the minds and the communities of the children so that, you know, if they are exposed to healthier foods um, and, and are educated and learn how to prepare some of these foods or get more uh, act, you know, active or engaged in physical activity and eating properly um, when they're younger. And, and there's a whole another part of that too, because I know economics has to do with that too, Ex economics, accessibility and things like that. Um, then what happens is that becomes a part of who they are. And so they grow up with these good habits. Mm -hmm. And with these, when they grow up with these good habits, they have their own children. Um, and, and, and they teach these good habits to their children. And, you know, these good habits, you know, proliferate their families. And so in the end, what it does is by, you know, investing a couple hundred thousand dollars or a million, you know, a couple million dollars up front to, to uh, teach good habits and to set up a sustainable infrastructure around teaching those good habits, we wind up saving billion, billions of dollars and not having to address obesity, high blood pressure, diabetes, things like that on the back end. Cool. Well, 
you know, at the risk of, you know, trying to cut down being long-winded, like I know I am, <laughs> there uh, at the county, they had a men's group that they were starting. It was called Club Dad. Um, it it w went along at the same time as a group called Club Mom, and they were looking for facilitators. Now, uh, my leadership kind of approached me about being a facilitator for this group. And I was like, you want me to facilitate or leave Club, club Dad? And they're like, yep. Yeah. I was like, you realize I don't have kids, right? <laughs> And I was like, is that going to be a problem? Because I'm going to be addressing men who already have families. And they go, nope, we've seen you speak at different events. You've done tons of community work. We've seen the influence that you've had um, working with you know, families before. Because I did a lot of community outreach work before I jumped up to the public health department. They're like, we think that what you do and, 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 and the connection that you're able to make with people will still be beneficial. And so I agreed to do it. And even upon my first couple of sessions, I disclosed that to a lot of the men. I was like, hey, just to let you know, let's, let's get where everybody is. You know, let's introduce yourself, your name, how old you are, where you're from, do you have any kids, are you married? And I let it be known up front that I didn't, you know, have any kids. But because the information that I had um, was valuable enough to them, the other men didn't care because ultimately the, the information that I was disclosing and giving to the men and the things that we talked about in that group, it was a safe place for men to kind of get together and talk about things that often we times we can't share to the rest of to the rest of the world because you know there's this uh stereotype that men can't be vulnerable that we got to be tough and hard all the time that we can't you know open up and divulge secrets to talk about what bothers us and i was able to you know you know not you know talk about real life things with them like you know, we all go through relationship issues. We all talk about our fears. We all talk about, you know, wanting to further our education or, you know, getting gainful employment, any of those type of things. And because I was just able to kind of talk about useful tools in that environment, it went, you know, it went, it went very well. Well, there's a, was another group called the Birth Equity Community Council, also going on with the, with the county, which is essentially a monthly meeting of public health professionals, doctors, uh, you know, um, everyday citizens um, about how to address health, birth equity issues uh, in our community um, because there's a huge disparity um, when it comes to a birth equity where I live at. For every um, white baby that dies before the age of one, four black or brown babies die before the age of one. Um, and the maternal death rate for black women is 243% more than white women, um, which is astronomical. It's absolutely ridiculous. And so what they do is the purpose of the Birth Equity Community Council was to bring all these different people together from all walks of life and talk about, through their lens, what are they seeing in the community that help contribute to these horrible statistics and, and different strategies that we could use to address them. Well, they had no male representation there. Hmm. And since I was, you know, working along um, in Club Dad, which goes, like I said, during the same time as Club Mom, they decided, hey, Will, why don't you start coming to the Beck meetings? So I started going to the Beck meetings and becoming the male representative. And one of the ideas that came about in Beck was, if we, what are some of the out-of-the-box ways that we could address infant, the disparity in the infant mortality rate and the maternal death rate? Well, one of the things that we all started to talk about was, if you want to talk about all the different resources that are out there for mothers or children, as public health professionals, most of us could name, go on for about 30, 45 minutes naming off different resources and organizations that help specifically women and children. Even when they say family, they're only geared towards women and children. Mm -hmm. But when asked when 
there were or, or what resources were out there for men or fathers or single fathers or just fathers in general or the entire family not just women and children barely anybody can name any anything and so if we live by this creed or this idea that it takes a village to raise a child but we're only equipping half the village to do so yet we're wondering why you know these huge disparities are still out there and we're not you know certain kids children are reaching you know early childhood milestones and the family dynamic is falling apart we got to recognize that that's a broken model and we keep year after year pouring a lot of funding and resources into this model that is broken so a couple people came up with the bright idea of why don't we get more men involved in the birth process why don't we change why don't we train men to become doulas and lactation educators that way they have the, the they understand the foundation of what it's like or for women going through birth, um, we get them more engaged in the, you know, uh, 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 in the family and the birth process, you know, prenatal. But also, what that does is, if you have the man more involved in the beginning, or the father more involved in the beginning, you've already set the tone, the expectation, um, and empowered him to feel and be involved postpartum, hmm. which is what we're seeing a lot, you know fathers not being around after and what and, and what we learned too during this process is that it wasn't because men wanted did you know did it not want to be a part of their children's life or, or didn't want to be a more part of the birth process once again a lot of society was telling men that this isn't your role your role is to only help create the baby and then discipline them and fund them when they're here nothing else mm-hmm. and so when you condition a man for nine months consciously or subconsciously that that is his only role and purpose what do you think is going to happen after the baby's born? And so this was a, a, a way to really kind of address that, letting him know and reclaim his role. And by being able to feel more comfortable and empowering him, empowering him to know that he does have a role in this process and that his role is significant, he can then also advocate for mom um, and be alongside her and, and, and empower and support her during the process. Because it's not easy carrying another being inside you for nine months. It's not easy going through labor. It's not easy, you know, going to prenatal visits and talking to these doctors about how your body's changing, going through these uh, hormonal changes and physical changes and, and, and thinking about what's to come by yourself. You need to have somebody there with you, and especially in cases of mothers who will be first-time moms, have somebody that can advocate for them, right? And ask the questions that they're afraid of asking or didn't think to ask. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, what, what, you know, in essence, I kind of looked at that and I've always, anybody that knows me would tell you, I've always kind of been the person who, um, you know, if you, you gave me a path, you know, and it split two ways, you know, and both ways are paved. Chances are, I was always going to take the wooded area that was not paved at all, just because that just happened to be my life. Like, how can we make things a little bit more difficult sometimes? How can we turn stuff into an adventure that probably shouldn't be? <laughs> and so I was just like, ah, this is different. I've always done something different. Um, why not? Um, but more importantly, it, um, it gave me a different way to kind of give back to my community, right? Learn these skills to help work with different families and empower parents to both be involved and address you know, maternal death rates and infant disparities and infant mortality rates. Um, and then also kind of teach men to, to be, to, to, to be more involved. So, um, I really kind of, it, it just, it was just really a different way of really trying to rebuild a family dynamic from the ground up.
And I just thought it was a cool thing to do. So I did it. And then once I started going through the training and learning the history of midwifery and doula work and birth work, it went from something that I wanted to do to something that I saw as my responsibility. Mm -hmm. Um, It was my responsibility to give back to my community uh, in that way. And that's what I wanted to do. Wow. Yeah. That, that's a, uh, it's, it's really fascinating. And going back to the, uh, the wide disparity in the birth rates you mentioned, what was yep. that, was that in, in your County in the state of Minnesota in the country? Like, so, so, yep. Yep. So, so the, the, the disparity in the uh, maternal death rate, that's a national number. Oh, wow. Um, the disparity in the infant mortality rate, that's a state of Minnesota number or, 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 or Ramsey County number. Um, both of them are very significant. Um, and both of them, uh, when you look at it, we chalk it up to things like, you know, social determinants of health, um, which are affected by systematic racism, things like that, especially with the maternal death rate. When you look at a number like 243% more likely to die during childbirth, listen, if you say a number like 2.43%, you can say, ah, that's kind of an anomaly. That's a little bit different. We can kind of look into that and see what that difference is. You know, maybe it is a social determinants of health. Maybe it's just a fluke. You know, what? who knows? If you say 24.3%, then you could say, all right, there's something serious going on here. I think there's, you know, more of a uh, more of an issue kind of going on here with the social determinants of health, like things like lack of, um, you know, adequate health care or access to healthy food or transportation or, 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 you know, you know, adequate working wages. When you look at a number like 243%, that's systematic racism. That, that's, that, that's the only thing you can chalk that up to. And unfortunately, this has been going on for a while, but uh, the, thing, the only thing that really brought it to light, to national attention, as what happens also, all too often, in, I think, in America, is somebody famous went through it, Serena Williams. And when she talked about her near-death experience after giving birth to her child and how doctors and stuff wouldn't listen to her, um, it became national attention. And people, more people started to pay attention to something that has been happening for decades. And like I said, it, it's just not just with that, it's with everything. When you look at um, the past couple of years with the suicide of Anthony Bourdain and was it, I hope I didn't say it, was it Kate Spade? Yeah. Who, who killed herself? Now all of a sudden people wanted to talk even more about mental health and, and, and suicide prevention. And it's like, are you kidding me? These things have been happening forever. You know, one of the, it's, it's, you know, mental health has always been an issue. Um, but it takes somebody uh, that comes from wealth, not at all uh, downplaying the pain and stuff that their friends or family have gone through um, and not saying that it's not as important. But those, those all, all these things that I just brought up should be important for everybody. Right. Not just whether or not you're wealthy or not. Not just whether you're white, you're black, you're Hispanic, you're, you know, Asian, you're part, none of that should matter. Mental health, you know, birth equity, birth right, all that type of stuff. Those are human rights, and they should and they should matter for everybody. It should take somebody of prominence to go through something to either die or go through something traumatic for us all of a sudden to care about the least of those. Um, so so um, and, and so that's also a part of it too. It's a it's an innovative. My work is an innovative way for me to address something that's been going on in my community for a long time. Cool. You, know, you talked about men not being involved because they, you know, it's not men's work. So when, when, when you invite a man in to, to be more involved, you know, you know, pre-birth through the birthing uh, day hours uh, and, and after to be more engaged in their family, do, do you find that they're resistant or just being asked to like, Oh, are they, are they eager to participate? Oh, yeah. or? oh no, 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 no. 
so there's so there's two there's there's two different extremes what you'll either find is um there are there are some men out there who are despite the stereotype are very actively involved and want to be involved and are there every step of the way right it's only because society gets in the way or even friends and family members kind of buck back them buck back at them about that for instance i had a client who talked about how he was so excited about uh you know the 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 birth of a child you know coming you know coming up and how i was bragging about it and talking about it and people were telling him well you ain't pregnant you're not going through anything your back's not hurt your feet's not hurt you're not having the morning sickness and it's just like totally destroying this guy's moment he's happy he's excited and they're telling him again in an indirect way you don't matter to this process because you're not the one carrying the child um i had a client who told me who talked about uh, several times going to prenatal visits and he would ask the doctor questions and the doctor would ignore him the doctor would talk over him talk through him talk around him but never talk to him one client even had was removed from the delivery room while his significant other was giving baby because he kept asking questions the doctor refused to ask them and he kept asking the doctor why won't you talk to me so he had him removed so it's things like that that actually condition men to believe that they don't have a role in it right so then you have men who want to be involved and then you have the ones who are very reluctant because it is looked at as women's work uh, because it is looked at and as men we you know whether something there, there's there's a debate out there whether some men believe in toxic masculinity or not i'm a believer in it um and because of i think because of that um we have men who look at stuff like that as you you can't be a real man if you are engaged in anything that isn't whatever drinking fighting yeah. swearing or whatever else, some other type of neanderthal cold magnon type thing not saying you are a cold magnon or neanderthal type guy if those are things you enjoy it's just more to life than that but um you know so so because of those things and because of men who engage in anything or or show interest in anything that doesn't seem like it's a something that stereotypical man would be engaged or into their masculinity is being is being tested or called into question and that's something that a lot of men just frankly because of the way we we we're raised in in, in society they're not secure enough in themselves to overlook uh, matter of fact I'll even tell you a quick story of like how pervasive these type of stereotypes ideas are so when i first moved to to minnesota and started working in the school i i'm a type of person who, who um i like to dress nice loafer slacks dress shirts stuff like that i don't wear overly baggy things or you know tennis shoes all the time that sort of deal and after about a week at the new job i had a coworker ask when I was going to come out of the closet because I didn't wear baggy jeans and boots like a typical guy did. And I wear bright colors. That's just my thing. I like to do that. I'm from the south. What can I say? So think about that. Think about living in an environment where your manhood and your sexuality can be questioned based off the way you dress, much less your occupation or your hobbies. Now, I happen to be a person who grew up very sure of himself, confident in, in, in himself. you know because of the support of someone like my grandmother and my parents so that type of thing doesn't bother me but there are many people who aren't okay with that and don't aren't secure in themselves like that so they stay away from that work so a lot of what when i'm approached some and a lot of what i have to do is do a lot of like deprogramming before i can even come to them about this type of work 
Um, matter of fact, one of the questions I don't like I don't think I've n- never come to another man and said, Hey, would you like to be a doula or a lactation educator? It's not just gonna it's not gonna work. I've had uh, in a way kind of be like a salesman and use catchphrases and, and, and things that I know are gonna target uh another man's pride or or open up, you know, have a key to unlock his curiosity. Like for instance, one of the phrases or one of the things that I've used when approaching another man about it is human beings in general, men are like, some of us are like obsessed with power and control. Um, and that's part of toxic masculinity, like needing to control absolutely everything. You know, not just ourselves and have dominion over ourselves, but dominion over, over people. It's what makes us feel secure. And so I remember asking one gentleman, I said, you're a man, right? He goes, yep. And they go, you can do whatever you want, say whatever you want, go wherever you want. Yep. And they go, cool. That's, you know, it's nice to know. I said, so then, A, where did your definition of a man come from? So they start getting out different ideas or whatever. And I said, okay, so let me ask you this. If you're a man that you can do whatever you want, say wherever you want, go wherever you want, why are you letting someone else's definition of masculinity have you abdicate power over yourself, your household, or your community? And typically they start, you start to really see the gears changing, right? Because when I asked them where their definition came from, nobody said they came up with the definition of what it was for themselves. It came from somebody else. So once you start opening the doors to that third thought process, that just perhaps my entire life, I've been living in a way that's been predetermined by somebody else and not at all how I've actually wanted to do it or what I consider being a man or masculinity is and where I, that definition came from when they are, are, are not just counterproductive, um, but it really like goes against one another. Like, how do I reconcile that? And so once I start, once I start to see the, the, the gears turning in their head, I start to think about that, like, wow, um, that's really hypocritical. Then they're open to hear anything. Even if they decide that it's something that they want to do or they are open to at the end of the conversation or not, I know that I've opened their minds and their thought process to something else down the line. It could have nothing to do with birth work, but I know that I've opened their minds to start to, 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 start to be able to, it could be whatever dinner they choose to eat. It could be clothes that they choose, a vacation they choose, that they actually really start to think whether or not are they actually doing it for themselves or are they doing it for somebody else. Um, because in the end, in human nature, like that's all we—that's all a lot of us really want, right? We want to be happy, we want to be productive, and we're looking for a way to do that. It's just that sometimes intellectually we become lazy and we look for other people to define that for us. But when we start to um, really break it down and and think that, you know, maybe it's it's not always such hard work to to go on that journey by yourself and actually do something for yourself you see people behave in a totally different manner. So I, I have a, the, the origin of the show came from a live workshop I did where I asked guys to think about where the definitive masculinity came from and stuff. And when they identified where it came from, who, who taught them what a, being a man was, I would always ask, was that man happy? And so often, exactly. like, yeah, well, well, no, that was an angry, bitter bastard of a man. Well, well then why do you want to live up to that role? You're 100% right. And that's another thing that I've always said to them. I, you know, I've always said, I was like, the person who is drawn 
the the diagram of what it is to be a, 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 a man for you or put up these standards, if you really look at them, often they don't live up to that standard themselves, yeah. right? So why would you want to live up to that? Yeah. Why You should always question somebody. My, you know, my, my dad was a military guy. Both my parents were. My dad would always say, always question a leader who won't follow the directions that they give you. If they're afraid to follow the, the very direction that they give you, there's something wrong with that direction. Yeah. Yeah. And I find the, the more limiting, like if someone, oh, being a man is, I think you said before, like, a, you know, drinking, fighting and being angry. That's what a man does. I'm like, wow, that's horrible. Like, if you can only think of three things, right? that defines <laughs> what you're capable of. Because, yeah, we're, we're all, yeah, e even the most closed-minded individual is capable of just so much more if the... And that's why I love how you talk, even if someone doesn't go, yeah, I want to be a doula, you know, you've turned me onto this, Will. But you, you crack them open about that there's more. Exactly. Just live your life. However you decide to live it. My, my, my motto with everything has been, you know what? Um, just be happy. Live to be happy. I've seen, I've seen people who eat healthy, work out great, uh, 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 and, and, and physically you would think would be the most healthy people they are and still die young. Why? Because happiness or, or being unhappy and negative energy will kill you before anything else. I always tell people, do whatever you want as long as you're not hurting yourself and you're not hurting anybody else. Yeah. If you're not hurting yourself and you're not hurting anybody else and it makes you happy, do what you got to do. Yeah. It's, 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 it's not upon me to, to infringe upon whatever it is. Just as long as you're not hurting anybody else and not hurting yourself. So where did your definition of masculinity come from? I think it's, it's been ever um, evolving. I think when I was younger, it was, it was, it was like anybody else is pretty typical. Um, athletes, the, you know, my dad, my uncles, my grandfather, stuff like that. Um, you know, comic book heroes, all that sort of thing. But I think those things started to change for me at a young age, even before I knew it. And the reason I say that is because I was always kind of um, the nerdy, goofy kid that everybody picked on. Nobody really, nobody really paid much attention to me until like seventh, eighth grade. I played football, ran track, was the fastest person on the track team, the best person on the football team. And so I, all of a sudden these friends, quote unquote, come around. But at that time, you're old enough where you realize those aren't really your friends. Those are people who want to be around you because you can do something that they like. Um, but, but because I was often by myself and kind of like picked on or ostracized a lot when I was younger, um, there's, there's two things that can happen to you. Either you become somebody who has very low self-esteem and you become a follower because you just want to belong, or you become somebody who becomes so comfortable with being by yourself, you just figure out how to do your own thing and be comfortable in that. Well, I learned how to do the latter. Um, and it's because I always had somebody in my corner, like my grandma. Um, I lived with my grandma until I was 18 years old and left for college. Uh, and my grandma, no matter what I did, that you know, how weird it was or how out of the box it seemed or how goofy it was, my grandma would always just say, just, it's okay, just kind of do your thing. When she would hear somebody say something about it, she'd be like, just let them do it. You know, let them, let them be whatever, let them do whatever he's got to do. Um, and I think, at that time, you know, being so young, did I know exactly what was happening? Did I know how I was being molded and transformed? No, not at all. 
But when I look back on it in hindsight, I see exactly what happened. You know, it kind of, it, it worked, it worked out in its best way for me. So it's like, yep, I had some, some of those outside influences, um, like any old, you know, typical uh, male child or whatnot. But anytime anything that I enjoyed or was interested in went outside that sphere, I was comfortable with doing that. And, you know, obviously as you get older, you learn more, you learn about, learn more about, you know, how the world works, social dynamics, you know, politics, you know, race in the country, social economic situations, everything, you know, those things kind of change, you evolve, you know, you learn more. Um, and, and, and so I think that's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm still kind of growing and still kind of learning, but I know that I have you know, no doubt that what I am is, is, is a man. I'm somebody who cares about myself, care about my family, care about my community. I have some interest that might be considered as, as that of a stereotypical male. You know, I love sports, lifting weights, you know, um, it, any, it, you know, whatever else out there. I love car, fast cars. I love the race, all those sort of things. Um, but then I have some things that I'm into that some people might consider, you know, not stereotypical male. Um, I love loud color clothes. Dude, I wear a lot of neon colors and pinks and purples and you know I love you know I just went the other week and got a couple you went to Taylor and got a couple suits made I love to dress up I love nice shoes I love flowers I do yoga I'm a doula and a lactation educator you know I you know some of those things people look like look at and they're like oh, I, that doesn't you know sound like you know who or what this guy is I love science I'm an amateur astronomer I love space if I could book a one, if I, you know, if, if I could book a vacation, you know, and it'd be the outer space and somebody be like, okay, dude, this is a one way ticket. You know, you can't come back. I'd do it anyway. Um, so yeah, like I, I think, I think for me, my masculinity can't really truly be, truly be defined because it's still growing. Um, my masculinity is whatever, whatever I make it out to be because I'm, I'm confident and sure of who I am. I love my community, I love myself, I love my family. I do my best for all those aspects of my life. And I'm good with that, I'm secure with it. That's what makes me who I am, that I am a man. That is freaking awesome. I am uh, so thrilled and happy with, <laughs> with that response. Because that's, that's what I try to get across so many guys, like when you're comfortable in who you are, when, when you love yourself, well, what's a real man? What's a, it's whatever I do is what a real man does because that's what I exactly. am. Yeah, and exactly. And you exactly. you allow your definition to to breathe and to grow with with everything that you do. So yeah, there's there's nothing there's nothing you can do that isn't manly because you're a man and you're doing it. It's just it just is. It's just what it is, right? And I, and and I think the moment you start living for somebody else or letting somebody else to define you, that is an equivalent of a slow death to me. And and I don't have many fears in this life, um, if any. That is one of them. I do like a to to die like slowly from the inside out, and like to to see that, to know that every day I get up and I'm not who I am, and I'm and I'm under somebody else's dominion or doing what somebody else, you know, pretending to be something else for somebody else. That's one of the most. That's one of the, the you know the scariest things that I could, you know, think of, you know, 
think about that day after day, you know, hour after hour, minute after minute of hour after hour and every day for the rest of your life, you have to pretend to be something for somebody else. I can't think of much, I can't think of much more horrible than that, you know, other than some of the crazy atrocities we see going on in the world today. Like, I wouldn't want that for anybody. I mean, you mentioned being kind of a, of a nerdy, goofy kid and getting picked on, but 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 even then, w- were you comfortable being you? Were, were you were you this woke? I was. I was. Like I said, when I was when I was when I was really young, I think maybe the first couple couple years that I can remember, you know, like grade school, like maybe first second grade, I think it was uncomfortable, just like it would be for anybody else. Like I'm no exception. I, th- I think it was very uncomfortable, but I also moved around a lot too. And so I learned how to kind of adapt and get used to new environments. And I think that accompanied with my grandmother always kind of instilling this sense of whatever you're doing, like it's okay. Like as long as you're not hurting anybody else, as long as you're not hurting yourself, as long like you get good grades, you don't get in trouble. Like it's okay. Like there's nothing wrong with that. I think that, and I know that everybody does not have the luxury of maybe having that messaging in their household growing up. Um, I, by all means, did not have it easy growing up, but I did have that messaging in my ear from my grandmother. I think that really helped forward it. So by the time I got to, you know, fourth, fifth grade even, like I just didn't care. Like people could say stuff and I was just like, eh. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't overjoyed that people had something smart aleck you know, silly to say about me. But it didn't bring me down either. Like, I was just cool with just being by myself. Like, and I was just, I, like, when people would call me weird, like, even now in the day, like, I just kind of reclaimed that word. Like, that weird, if I use the word weird, you know, people, you know, you would see sometimes people's face turn up. And then I have to, you know, like, kind of talk to them or, or, or reaffirm to them that I don't think that my definition or, or connotation for weird means the same as what you're used to hearing. Because for me, it just signifies being different. Mm. And I'm okay with that. Like, and, and I really try to do my best at letting other people know that. Um, really letting you know children know that. I used to do a lot of outreach programming with youth. And kind of really when I would hear kids call another kid weird or another kid say that, you know, kind of talk to them you know, in plain language, you know, don't want to be all, you know, using all, you know, you want to use age-appropriate language with them, but kind of really helping them understand, like, where does that come from? What is your negative definition of where it comes from? Okay. And, and after you talk about where it comes from, you know, how does that apply to you? Does it necessarily have to mean anything negative? If it just means different, why is different wrong? Your shoes are different from that person's shoes. Is that wrong? Or is that okay? Like, you know, just really trying to reinforce that in, in children, but adults too. Sometimes I feel like I got to talk to adults. Like, to be honest, I feel like kids get it better than adults most times. Yeah. Um, but just really trying to reaffirm to people, like, weird is, weird is different and different is okay. Yeah. D- so, d- d- difference better than okay. Like, th- the same, right. the yeah. same is boring. <laughs> like, right. I, right. I always took weird as a compliment. Yeah. Exactly. And, and I just, um, yeah, I just kind of always, I I got to say, I've been lucky enough. I was lucky to have a grandmother that really, and I don't even know if she really knew what she was doing, other than she just loved her grandson and she was just trying to make it, you know, okay for me. But, like, 
she just gave me confidence to just be like, eh, like I don't care. There's not, there's not much anybody that can say to me about who I am as a person, my likes, dislikes, or anything that, <laughs> you know, that would bother me. I just, I know I'm weird. I know I'm different. I'm good with it. And as long as I'm good with it, uh, you know, I don't really care if you're good with it or not. But the only person who has any weight in that discussion is my grandma. <laughs> you know, when I go home and visit her. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, you know, th th this is our first, uh, we think we spoke for like maybe five minutes before yeah, yeah. you coming on the show. Yeah. And I like, I, I wish more weird men out there were like you. So yeah, you're a, a perfect, uh, it, yeah. I, uh, I think the world would be a much better place if, uh, if William Moore was the new stereotype of what a man is. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and, and you get, and just think about it. You know what I mean? There's so many different people out there with so many different life experiences. So that means that there's so many different lenses and views of life. Do you understand like how different the world can be, even 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 from now? Do you understand like the different types of art and you know artistic breakthroughs and scientific breakthroughs that can happen if more people were just willing to like be okay with kind of just like looking at things like a different way and do things a different way. Like I, like I have this saying um, that I say to myself every now and then, it's, it's sort of like an affirmation um, in the mornings. And it is, um, you know, some people think inside the box. Some people are applauded for thinking outside the box. I asked the question, why were you in the box to begin with? Yeah, we, I mean, we don't put ourselves in the box. But we give away the power. Oh, tell you know, we let life, society, family, we let our culture put us in a box, and too many people just go, oh yeah, oh these four walls, great, that's me, okay. And, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Realize it. Exactly. And there's so much more out there outside of this, these barriers and all these walls that we put around ourselves. Like, there's so much more out there. It's like, wouldn't you, wouldn't you want to see what that is? Like, exploration is beautiful. <laughs> of you know, of all things, like we wouldn't. We wouldn't be where we were today without exploration and all facets of life. So why the need to really like constrain all that? And why the need to um, dampen yourself to make somebody else feel comfortable? Because that's really what it's all about. That's what all these boxes are about. That's all with these um, lazy definitions about masculinity or femininity or whatever are about. They're about somebody giving a lazy ass definition. Um, to make themselves feel secure because they they're they're too lazy to experiment or explore themselves or too afraid mm. right and the moment they see somebody else willing to go out and do something different what do, what do people like to do uh, i don't think you should do that like you know but i always stress to people your limits are my limits your ceiling's not my ceiling so yeah you might not be able to do something but that that's not speaking for me yeah uh, people are so afraid to look at their own walls or realize that they're there or, or risk challenging them that they don't want to see you go flying and breaking down the barriers. I'm like, cause it'll make them look bad or feel bad. Exactly. And people like, you know, very few people are comfortable being alone. Mm -hmm. And if other people are out not being afraid, experiencing life, soaring and flying somewhere else, that means you're stuck by yourself you know, in the safe space that you want to be in. So instinctively, people do that. You know, you got to have the audacity to follow your own vision. 
you know, you got to realize your vision isn't going to always going to be everybody else's vision. Everybody's not going to be able to see your vision, even family members. You're going to have some, even some family members who are going to try to keep you from seeing your vision. Is it because they, they, they don't care about you? Nope, that's not true. You know, sometimes I make the, the, the analogy with having the audacity to follow your own vision. I should, somebody asked me what that meant, and I explained it to them this way. I said, it's just like, you know, let's say you got one of your parents or a good friend of yours in the car. And let's say you blindfold them and you're driving 120 miles an hour and you're swerving through traffic and all of that. Do you think that person is going to be comfortable or are they going to be scared? And it's like scared. It's like, why? And it's like, because they can't see what's going on. It's like, exactly. So even though you see what's going on, you see the vision, you might be swerving, but there might not even be any traffic out there. You might just be switching lanes fast, but because they can't see it, they're afraid. That's what it's like in, when taking chances and being yourself in life. You got to have the audacity to, to go with your vision, even when friends, families, or even strangers don't see it. Mm, yeah, very true. Very true. Kind of get back to the, the notion of, of, of men and, and birth. Is there anything that you wish more men realized about the birthing process? That it's, it's beautiful. Um, but also that you're needed. You're needed and during that process, other than helping to create that child and being there afterwards, like you need to be there to support your partner during that process. She's going through chemical changes. She's going through physical changes. A lot of men don't know that they also go through physical and chemical changes as well during the birth process. Um, I had one client, I explained that to one client. He was talking about, oh, you know, ever since, you know, I've been with my, you know, our kids, mom, she's been pregnant. She's been different. She's been doing this. She's been doing that. I just don't know if it's going to work. I was like, well, that's, you know, that could be the case. I was like, you know, women go through physical changes and chemical changes, which affects their emotions during the, the process. I said, um, but did you know men go through those things too? It's like, what? I was like, yeah. I said, so maybe you're the one who changed. <laughs> and there's more to that story, you know, than just that. You know, there's a there's a there's a part to where, to be honest, I, I felt that those two just didn't know each other because they hadn't been together long enough. So the end of that story went, you know, I, I was willing to bet that neither one of them changed. They just never knew each other to begin with. But it still could have been a perfectly feasible uh, explanation that maybe she didn't change all that much. Maybe it was him, and he because men are 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 conditioned to not really address our emotions or to seal them off. He was going through some things, not knowing how to properly manage them. And so that frustration was manifesting itself in the relationship. And she's reacting different to it. it she, she could totally not be the one, you know, inciting some of the argument, arguments. Maybe it was just him. Maybe it was neither one of them. But the point is, neither one of them would know those things until they have the conversation, start learning more about how they both biologically um, react to, to, to her bringing a new life into the world. Because the scientific fact is both of them will biologically react to one another um, and to that child once those changes start happening. And so I think more men need to know that they need to be involved and that they need to, be, they need to uh, have a better understanding of that process in general um, and their role in it. Um, for instance, um, I'll give you a small example. When it comes to breastfeeding, um, a man simply being pre uh, being in the presence of a woman um, while she's breastfeeding or in the or uh, 
in the process of lactating can, can increase her levels of prolactin, which means she can uh, potentially have a 20% increase in breast milk just from the father being around, hmm. doing nothing else but just being present. Hmm. Or, or another fun fact that I like to throw at men out there when they, you know, I've heard some of them complain about, well, I don't feel like, and this is a postpartum, this is more of a postpartum thing. I don't feel like, you know, I really need to be there. The baby doesn't connect to me anyway. The baby, you know, doesn't seem to recognize me or notice me or this, that, and other. The baby only wants his mom. I'm like, that might be the case. Um, I was like, you know, because the baby's been in mom for approximately nine, me- nine weeks. She's been carrying the baby for approximately nine weeks. But then I throw this out there that seems to really surprise him. I say, scientifically speaking, do you know on average how long it takes for a baby to, um, to, to, to bond with a father after it's born? Usually the answer is no. And when I tell them nine months, the eyes get wide, right? Nature's a funny thing. Nature's an amazing thing, right? So it takes both. It really takes both of them there. And so just by really like giving, you know, giving them little breadcrumbs of information like that, that really piques their interest, you know, usually gets them coming back asking for a lot more and wanting to know more. Yeah. Um, and when you got somebody hungry for knowledge, you got them hooked. And when they start feeling empowered and knowing that they are needed um, as a part of that, contrary to what society is saying, they want to be there. Because I'll tell you this, in all my experience um, and everything that I've heard from from public health nurses and and birth work professionals who've been doing this this work for, for decades, there's not one of them that'll tell you that both parents don't want what's best for their kids. Both parents want what's best for their kids. Now they may have different ideas of what that looks like. They may not know how to get them there. They may not necessarily know how to provide that, but both parents want what's best for their kids. And just reminding fathers that I know you want what you want what's best for your child does a lot as far as their confidence level um, in this whole thing and getting them to want to be a part of that. Excellent. So I uh, I know you're 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 a podcaster as well. So tell tell me about your podcast. Yeah, so I have a podcast called Chill Time Is Will Time. Um, I've got an episode that I've recorded. I've had in the queue for like it seems like a month now. I've been so busy with work and consulting and stuff like that that I hadn't been able to pub- put it out yet. And I got to actually get an interview scheduled for next week. But it's just a podcast where I just talk about. Uh, any and everything, really, man. It's from current issues and current events, to politics, sports, um, music, books, art, any and everything. It's one of those, it's, it's pretty much a podcast where whatever I need to either A, vent about for that <laughs> week or that day, or, so, or much like you, if there's something that, that popped up that I see is very interesting and that I didn't know much about or want to uh, inquire about, I'll do the research on it or find somebody who's into it and bring them on and interview them about. For instance, our mutual friend that you told me uh, uh, kind of recommended me to you, that's what brought me to her. Like, I wanted to learn more about, you know, her work and what she did. And she was, you know, open and gracious enough to really share that stuff with me. She could have been like, dude, I don't know you. I don't, you know, I'm not going to come on your show and talk to you about anything. But she did that. Um, and she's been awesome. She was awesome. And I've considered her an awesome friend ever since then. So, you know, podcasting has given me um, an avenue to vent, to learn, to meet new people in different walks of life. 
and in in many cases make some good friends in different parts of the world in different parts of the country in different walks of life as well Cool. And so what, what's the best way for people to connect with you, to find more information about you? If, they, if they're if they looking for a doula in Minnesota, like what's the best way? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, if you're looking for me in terms of uh, have any ideas or want to, you know, be interviewed on the podcast, they can just email me at chilltimepod at gmail.com. Um, and if you're somebody who's looking for uh, uh, a doula or a lactation educator, somebody to work with, consult with, um, you know, healthcare professionals or healthcare institutions, which is something I do, um, you could email me at wrmore.cpe.consult at gmail.com. And uh, I'll be happy to have a conversation with you and uh, talk about how I can kind of, you know, get out and work with either your families or your men's or women's groups um, or your healthcare professionals on how to make sure that they do a better job at, uh, you know, really you know, working with families of color, but also working with families in general and helping to get more men involved in the birth process. Cool. Well, I, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time, being on the show, um, stepping into this, not knowing, you know, who the frick's this Andy guy and what's he going to ask me. And uh, I, <laughs> <laughs> I love everything that you shared. And, you know, I certainly learned a lot. I, and I'm sure our audience did as well. Um, so yeah, if you're uh, looking for another podcast to check out, um, check out Chill Time is Will Time. And if you're needing uh, any dual assistance in, in Minnesota, definitely reach out and we'll have uh, uh, links to, to Will's info on the show notes at realmenfield.org. Um, so, so Will, I want to thank you once again for, for joining us today. And everybody I, I, I really appreciate it, man. And thank you uh, for having me on as well. Yeah, my pleasure. We need, we, need, uh, we need more men like you. I'll just say that for sure. I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you. So wherever you are discovering that real men feel, please give us a like, a share, a review, uh, send us some feedback, recommend some guests, or volunteer to be on yourself. Um, but whatever you're doing, be good to yourself. Thank you for listening to Real Men Feel. Reach out to us at realmenfeel at gmail.com. Learn more about Andy Grant at theandygrant.com. Until next time, visit realmenfeel.org or the Real Men Feel Facebook group and share what you thought of this episode. Please give this podcast a review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you are discovering Real Men Feel.